Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Brendan Kumarasamy about effectively communicating culture change in your organization. Brendan Kumar Asami, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks for having me, John. Yeah, it's great to be with you again. Uh, You joined me probably a year or so ago. We had a great conversation about communication then. And today we're going to continue the conversation. We're going to talk about effectively communicating culture change within your organization. I know you have a lot of change management in your professional background, so this is going to be a fascinating conversation. As we get started, I wanted to share Brendan's bio with everybody. Brendan is the founder of Master Talk, a coaching practice he started to help ambitious executives and entrepreneurs become top 1% communicators in their industries. He is also a popular YouTuber with a channel called Master Talk. Brendan, anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background before we launch on into the conversation? No, you got it. Thanks. Thanks for summarizing that so well, John. Okay. Well, maybe start um, by just reminding any listeners who may not have caught you last time. uh, What is Master Talk? And what are you trying to accomplish there? And then we can get more into the specific topic for today. Yeah, absolutely. So the quick story on it, Jonathan, was when I was in university, I used to do these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So other guys my age were playing basketball and rugby. I was doing presentations competitively. And that's how I learned how to speak and coach other people how to speak. But the goal was never to start a business or a YouTube channel. The goal was to go on and and work as a management consultant at McKinsey or BCG or Deloitte or IBM. That's where a lot of the candidates, the best candidates who joined those firms, they initially do case competitions and case interviews during that process. But I accidentally developed a skill on how to coach other people and how to speak. So a few years, a few months rather, before I started working at IBM as a change management consultant, I started making videos on public speaking tips. And eventually that turned into a business and I've quit IBM ever since to pursue this full time. Well, that's wonderful. Living the dream. Um, IBM, I'm sure was a tremendous experience. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your change management consulting role there. Uh, And, and I, again, I appreciate kind of the framing up of your origins and you're right. Many people do end up going into these big consulting firms. Uh, So what was it about IBM that attracted you? What kind of work did you do there? Uh, And then we can get into how your, your communication expertise helped to assist you in, in doing the change management work 
in that role? Yeah, of course. So, so I was at IBM for two years and a half. And what's great about having a consulting role, especially out of university or out of an MBA, is you're already tasked with very difficult responsibilities at a young age. So you learn much faster. So when I was leading global implementations at IBM, I was primarily implementing a product called Success Factors, which is an HCM solution for, for SAP. And I was a part, I was leading the, the change with the actual technical implementation of the solution. But I was also doing the change management where I was convincing different stakeholders within the org that this is a new change and how to explain the product in a way that people would understand it. And I would say the biggest magic from that experience, Jonathan, is that at a young age, you're already interacting with very senior individuals, especially on the client side, because in the industry, the hierarchy is very flat in consulting, where the junior person is very close, is probably even you know, having a great time with the, the senior executives at the top of McKinsey or any of those firms. That was the main reason I joined. It was such a wonderful experience there. Yeah, that's awesome. And, it, you know, that's something, that's a world I, I wanted to get into as well. I ended up kind of going the, the professorial route and, and doing consulting work on the side uh, rather than going, um, you know, directly in like you did. Uh, but having some, some background as an internal change management uh, individual in a couple of different organizations prior to pursuing my PhD. It was a tremendous experience, a wonderful opportunity. I learned a lot and just fascinating and super fun and enjoyable. So um, on that note, just for anyone listening who may think, you know, be considering career options or shifts or anything like that, um, tremendous area to be in for sure. So let's oh, yeah. talk now a little bit more about the role of communication. You, you alluded to it just a little bit there in your time at IBM um, and, and you're implementing uh, digital transformation, u- utilizing success factors. Um, what was the role of communication and how did you approach it? And maybe if you have any examples of times where you approached it in a less effective way, learned from it, and then were able to, to pivot and shift and then communicate in a new, better, and more effective way. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to talk about that. So I would say in the context of the role I had at IBM, and this is true with any consulting role or any change management role, is we're communicating to different stakeholders. But the difference is that the languaging you need to use when you're communicating with those stakeholders need to change. So for example, when you're talking to the developer who's working at the company, you're saying, hey, there's a new software, there's a new update, there's a new idea. The way you communicate with that person is going to be very different than with a senior executive. So what I really learned in those two years is how to be empathetic to the values and what other people want and adapting to those needs and being able to communicate in a way where people go, oh, that makes sense. I understand why we need to change. So of course, at the baseline, we come up with the presentation that would appeal to everyone, explain the burning platform, tell people why this needs to happen, but also celebrate the benefits. And then the last piece I'll add to that is the importance of small touch-based conversations with every stakeholder. I think what a lot of people miss about change management, especially from a communication lens, is we generally see it as this one big presentation And we tell people about the change, why it's happening, how it's happening, but we don't focus enough on the small micro touch points between everyone. So we really get a pulse on what are those water cooler conversations that are happening in the organization so that we can quickly pivot our language to make sure that we stay great in the change management projects that we're implementing. 
Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's my experience too. I remember um, engaging in a change management project uh, for LG electronics um, in South Korea. This was probably 20 years ago. And, you know, I was young. Um, I, I wasn't actually out of college yet. This, this was a summer internship. Wow. And, and like you said, the access that I had to senior people within the organization um, senior executives was an amazing opportunity, um, but also incredibly overwhelming. And the, the the stakeholder approach that you just described was something I definitely had to to keep in mind because depending on who I was talking to and what I was trying to explain or or convince, I had to take a completely different approach. Um, as someone, especially in an Asian culture with incredibly lower level status, um, you know, I was basically the only white dude. Um, you know, working in the team. And so, you know, I, I, I spoke the language pretty well and understood the culture pretty well. So I was able to navigate that decently well, but still, you know, it's, it's just, uh, uh, I, I was in a different kind of a situation um, than say uh, one of my Korean colleagues. And so I, it, it just added to the level of me trying to really hone in and think carefully about the communication strategies that I would take with each different group of people that I had to go in front of. Uh, tremendous learning opportunity. And I appreciate the the conversation about the micro um, touch points with people because I, I always tell um, students when I teach at the university and we're talking about organizational development and change management, you need to consider every single interaction with any stakeholder as part of the overall intervention of the change process. Uh, you can't take anything for granted. Every single time you're interacting, it's going to influence uh, the overall trajectory, the momentum and the outcome. Uh, and so you have to, you have to look at each client meeting, each interaction with stakeholders as kind of its own standalone intervention event, uh, as part of an overall intervention strategy and in pay attention accordingly. And, and not to say that we need to be so high strung because every single thing we do is so high stakes. I, I don't want to say that we need to, you know, manage, you know, that okay in, in, in healthy ways, but, it's just a, a healthy realization that these interactions really do matter. Oh, absolutely. Like one way I, I would phrase what you said, which is excellent, is probably terminology we don't use that much in the change space, but that I always love to talk about is the idea about being pessimistic short-term and optimistic long-term. So being optimistic about the change that we're creating, but also being equally pessimistic on what can go wrong at the smallest granular level. And if we can figure out what those touch points are earlier, it's much easier to mitigate this. One strategy I used when I was at IBM, and I still do that in some cases with different clients and ideas, is mind mapping. So mind mapping is when you look at an organization and you go, who are the key players? Who's driving the change? Who has the most influence on the table? And how do I create microtransactions, relationship building tools, so that I take over the entire mind map? So a good example of this is, let's say, that the engineers are on board, but there's one engineer who that everyone else looks up to. If that person isn't on board, your change isn't not necessarily impossible, but it's just harder, especially if it's a software change. So that's really the key. It's all about always being paranoid, paranoid. Having some sense of paranoia, rather. I should probably speak, know how to speak English as a speech coach. But the idea is having some level of paranoia short term so that every single risk is mitigated before those issues come up so that the change is more likely to succeed.
I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Yeah, I really like that. And I'm a big fan of creating new words. So uh, that's a really good one. I like it. Well, good. So um, maybe tell us uh, about another example you may have had. It could have been at IBM or, or since in your career um, where you've seen a transformation in either your own uh, communication ability or in the communication of an executive you were working with that then led to their, you know, their in, an increase in their influence, an increase in their ability to, to drive impactful change. Beautiful question. I, I would say for me, the biggest lesson I got from IBM is the difference between responding with statements versus questions, especially when you're young, you're in your 20s, 30s, you always feel like you need to prove yourself. But I've even seen that in the, in the case of 40s and 50s too. I, just, I would just see it's more a bit more common there because we're getting started in the workplace. So we want to show you what we can do. We want to show your expertise. Hey, Jonathan, we need to think about this. We need to do this. But I would say is the most wisest individuals I've met at IBM, and they've coached me on this too. So I learned that lesson early in life, thankfully, is the best way to showcase your wisdom is through questions, not statements. And what I've always found is that the best executives in the world that I've had the pleasure of either working with or knowing spend that time to really diagnose and spend a lot less time solutioning. So they ask a lot more questions. Why do you believe this? Why is this important to you? Where do you see the company going in the next five years? Those are generally the best change management executives because everyone feels like their voice is being heard. Everyone feels like this person really cares. And the person who's asking the questions has all the information and knows exactly how to make the change. I would even add as far as to say they have all the leverage. So when they say that 10% solution, that 10% of the time or even 5% of the time where they give statements, everyone is listening to those statements. So it's not about being loud, and you know this probably better than I do. It's not about being loud, but only being vocal in the right moments and spending most of the time in silence, just listening and asking the right questions. That's probably the biggest lesson I got that created the best transformation. Yeah, I love that. And asking good questions is a real skill. It's hard to do. So it's it's easy to say, ask good questions. And, and listeners may think, well, yeah, okay, that sounds good. So next meeting, I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to observe. I'm just going to ask good questions. Okay. But that it, it's a skill that needs to be developed. So certainly being mindful of it, having a goal in place uh, to, to listen more, 
um, and to, and to try to formulate good questions, that's that's excellent. Um, it, but just recognize it will take practice uh, over time because um, we're not. I don't know. Like it, I I was going to say we're not hardwired, I'm, I, but I don't actually know in terms of like evolutionary psychology. But in terms of culture and norms, like you said, I think we're more inclined just naturally to to try to speak up and to assert some sort of level of faux confidence and certainty around whatever we're saying. Um, and, and, and frankly, that often gets rewarded in organizations, um, at least in the short term. And so we need to disrupt that pattern within ourselves um, and then be willing to sit in some cases discomfort as we're sitting in more silence and listening more and, and trying to, to uh, really ask the good thoughtful questions. Um, and when you ask the good thoughtful questions, that means you have to listen even more intently to what people say so that you can then ask the follow-ups and you, you can then use what you learn to inform your approach moving forward. Uh, all of that sounds simple, but it's not easy. It takes practice and it takes time and intentionality. Absolutely, John. And I'll, I'll even give you a framework for those of you who want to get better at this. So here's a simple one I teach clients, which is what is the outcome that you're looking to drive or the outcome from the conversation? And how do you ask questions to figure out one specific thing? And that specific thing is generally, what does that person value and what are their incentives? So what if you show me the incentive, I'll show you the outcome, right? So it's the same idea. So I'll give you a super easy example to demonstrate this. Let's say we take a vice president of sales at a company. And let's say we're implementing a new CRM. That vice president of sales is probably thinking, if I have to implement this new CRM, that means I have to take everything in my pipeline and then put in the CRM. It's going to take me a bunch of time. I don't want to do this. But how do I know that so accurately? It's because I talked to a lot of vice presidents of sales, right? So the key is you need to figure out what is the outcome. Okay, so the outcome is to convince this vice president of sales that Salesforce, let's use Salesforce as an example, I'm not endorsed by them in any way, but let's use an example, that, hey, this is something that you want in your business, not something you don't want. So this guy's an old school vice president of sales. Oh, all my pipeline, everything is on a piece of paper. I don't need Salesforce. So let's use this as an example. So then the second piece is now you want to drive questions that lead to figuring out what their priorities. So, so what's your opinion of Salesforce? Let's say James. Then James goes, oh, you know, Salesforce is good. It's a good system. What, what are some of the challenges you have with Salesforce? Oh, you know, Brandon, I'm going to spend so much time putting all of this in the pipeline. It's going to take me an extra 30 minutes. Do you know how valuable my time is? I'm always spending all this time doing so. And then you're asking the questions. And the goal of the question is to figure out their priorities and to figure out what they value. And then once you have all that information, the final piece of the framework is then representing their, their own languaging against them. So you would say something like this. Oh, James, completely understand. You know, it does take a lot of time. But I feel we need to think about this in the long term. Imagine how much time this would save us over five years. If all of your team members, right, have you ever been in a situation where, you know, one of your team members had a deal that you weren't aware of? Oh, yeah, Brendan, now that you think of it, now that you mention it, there's one of my team members that's always closing deals and I never find out about it. I can never update it. So, well, Salesforce fixes that, James, because then they can implement. It's going to take an extra five minutes, but imagine how much more money you'll make. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. You're right. That makes a lot of sense. We should definitely implement Salesforce. I used his own languaging against him. So I hope that framework helped. Yeah, I think that's a great example uh, and a practical way to, to start approaching it. 
And again, it, it just takes intentionality. It takes time. It takes a little bit of practice. Um, but pretty soon you can become known as a thoughtful, intelligent, insightful uh, individual that people really pay attention to. Uh, and it may seem counterintuitive, but you know, sometimes we think it's the loud, boisterous ones that get all the attention, um, that suck all the energy out of the room. I suppose that can be the case. But my experience has been both individually as well as working with other people that if someone is is always commenting, always um, asserting themselves, especially if they do it in a blustery way or a faux confident kind of a way, people tune them out. They don't actually really pay attention to them. It's not effective. They're just taking up space. Um, and, and people tend to pay attention to those that are thoughtful, quiet, um, considerate, and who only speak on occasion when necessary to try to flesh things out or to try to you know, better understand things. People tune into that. They, they, they hone in very quickly on that. And you'll start to build your reputation for being a, a really uh, impactful communicator, not because you're taking more like time. Uh, so if, if we use like, let's say a presidential debate, sometimes um, commentators following a presidential debate, they'll rate the debate based on like how much time someone got speaking. What was the amount of speaking time? What I'm suggesting is, you know, in the workplace, we're not in a presidential debate. So it's not about how much mm. actual speaking time we're taking within a meeting. It's about impact time. Right. And, and everything you've been describing is all about how to have greater impact in the moments we choose to, to communicate whatever kind of initiative or change or anything we're trying to influence. Right. Fascinating analogy. I love that. Very good. Brendan, it has been a pleasure. I know at the time and in a few minutes here, I'm going to need to let you go. But before we close today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get in touch with you, find out more about your work, uh, and then give us the final word on effective communication for organizational change. Yeah, absolutely. John, always a pleasure to see you and hear from you. So yeah, for those of you who want to check out more of the work that I do, Master Talk, the YouTube channel is definitely the best place. Go to YouTube type master talk in one word and you'll have access to all of my free content on public speaking. And if you want to attend one of my free trainings and get coaching from me, that's rockstarcommunicator.com. If you go to that website, you can register for one of my next free trainings and learn more about effective communication. In terms of the final word, I would say a lot of us, when we think of communication, Jonathan, we see it as a chore. We go, oh, I don't want to work on this. This is daunting. So I encourage all of you to reflect on this question that will help you to dream more about your communication skills. The question is this, how would the world change if you were an exceptional communicator? How would your organization change, your family change? If you really start to ponder that, you'll get a lot more excited about working on your communication skills and see some incredible results that come with it. Great question. Great insights, Brendan. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with me and my listeners today. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Brendan can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different 
than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.